P.S. I Love Hoffman is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Iggy Pop! Amen! Let it rock! I'm a fucking idiot. Red meat, we crave sustenance. I'm an artist. Hello, my name is Jimmy Cody. Why don't you have some fun? Fun, fun. Tommy, that's a tape thing. Whoever she is, I'm gonna find her and I'm gonna hurt her. I've spent the past three years learning Finnish! <laughs> I'm always home, I'm on cool. This is a process of dehumanization. Shut, 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 shut up! Hey, Hoff fans, welcome to P.S. I Love Hoffman, our love letter to the remarkable career of the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm Brian Rodriguez. And I'm Kyle Reinfried. We're always home, we're always uncool, we're always ready to talk all things Philip and Cooper Hoffman and beyond and high school things because this is a crossover episode between P.S. I Love Hoffman and High School Slumber Party. I'm excited for this one. So, Kyle, you and I have been talking Hoffman films for a while. Philip Seymour Hoffman films. Um, of course, you know, that tragically ended, at least the run there, right? I don't think we thought we would get another Hoffman film, ever. No, the only way, like, if we ever got to fully see Schuler. Okay, there's a couple ways, yes. If we fully saw Schuler. There's a random short film that was nominated for Academy Award that it was in that we've never been able to track down. I forgot the name. Mm-hmm. And that HBO show where the pilot was briefly released. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, exactly. But point being, with due to his unfortunate passing in 2014, and we started the podcast in, what, t- 2018? No, 17. What is time? Anyway, what is time? Exactly. What is time? Uh, didn't think we'd actually be able to have a new episode like this talking like a new film, but we're uh, now hanging with Mr. Cooper Hoffman. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Licorice Pizza today, P.T. Anderson movie, and the reason it's a crossover is because I host a show, High School Slumber Party. We talk high school films, teen films. This is a teen film, a Hoffman film. Ironically, not a foodie film, Kyle. Lots of food scenes. Lots of food scenes. Not a foodie film. But I, I'm so excited to talk this one. It's not like Cooper Hoffman just appeared in a, I don't know, like a Spy Kids movie or something. You know what I mean? We'd cover it, but like loosely. Like he is in a movie collaborating with his father's most frequent collaborator. Like that's Correct. awesome. Yes. And we have one of our favorite collaborators with us today. Danny Aww. Kim, welcome. Hello. Welcome Thanks to both, both PSI Love Hoffman and High School Slumber Party. On High School Slumber Party, though, we introduce ourselves in a certain way. Um, Kyle, you don't have to do it because you're technically a co-host because it's technically a PSI Love Hoffman. But Dan, can you introduce yourself in the High School Slumber Party way? Do you remember? Because you were on last week's High School Slumber Party episode for Just Friends. Of course I remember. My name's Danny Kim. I graduated from Northern Valley Regional High School, class of 2005. Our school mascot was the Golden Knights. Go Golden Knights! (laughs) (laughs) We all went to high school together. You've been on a lot of High School Slumber Party episodes, but what Hoffman episodes have you been on, Dan? The Master. The Master. I think that was it, The Master. Yeah. I think you popped in on on like a Still Hoffman one. I can't remember which one. Oh, wait. Yeah, that was... Yeah, there was one we were talking, and you just 
No. Was that Hoffman? It was still, oh, it's still you're saying a still Hoffman. Yeah, we were recording it, but you were coming over to record Election. Election, where we decided to record just friends, which you were just recently on as Brian said for high school summer party. But yeah, exactly. Anyway. The the long and winding road for sure. Uh, yeah. I feel like this is a great gang to get together for this. Not again. Yes, because of Hoffman, you and I, Kyle, and yes, because of the high school connection here. But also I know we've gone to the theater together to see at least one P.T. Anderson film, but the three of us, the two of you definitely, but the three of us, I feel like we've done a couple nights at the Angelica watching like more artiste films. Nebraska? Nebraska we saw, Alexander right. P. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which which uh, P.T. Anderson film did we see together? Did we Inherent, see? Inherent Vice? Inherent Vice, Inherent Vice. Oh, yeah, we did see Inherent Vice together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I feel like this is the group right here. This is my A-team for a P.T. Anderson movie. And also, like you said, I mean, like high school buddies, and I think we all kind of, um, you know, while we were watching movies before we all met one another, just like those formative years and the movies we were watching, grew grew our love for, uh, dare I say, cinema at that time. Cinema, P.T. Anderson, auteurs. Another reason that, Dan, I think you're the perfect guest today is that quite recently you moved out to California. You, and so many P.T. Anderson movies take place in like the Los Angeles area. I think most of them do. Um, or at least California, right? We'll go through the list in a bit. But now that you're out there, I felt like we could get a little bit of insight. Because you were you were also there in the 70s as well, right? <laughs> What's that? In the 70s? What? You lived in, in the, the valley in the 70s. I did. I lived in Toluca Lake like I am right now. No, I'm, ki- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But <laughs> no, Kyle, you and I had a little like uh, preview episode on PSL of Hoffman. But let's go a little bit back uh, for the High School Slumber Party audience. You and I saw this at the Alamo Drafthouse in Brooklyn the first weekend it came out. Awesome to see a movie together, especially post-pandemic. Was that the first post-pandemic movie we saw together? I think so. When I say post-pandemic, I don't mean the pandemic's over, guys. Okay. You know what I mean. Yeah, but just in in the time that we can go back to theaters during the, the world we live in. But yes, that was the first movie we've seen together in a while. When we're recording this, it's still a limited release, but we'll be releasing this when it's on wide release. So far, it's making good money for what it is. It's getting pretty good reviews. Dan, where did you see Licorice Pizza? I watched it today at the Regency Village Theater. And surprisingly, it's the only theater in the Los Angeles area that's playing Licorice Pizza. I mean, I see billboards like all over the place for this movie. Even the... Famous Whiskey A Go Go venue is covered in licorice pizza ads. Oh, cool. And, yeah, and it's just the one theater playing. And the theater is really nice. It's like this really old school Art Deco theater from like, I don't know, probably the 20s or 30s. I got there right on time. Like, I got there at 1230. And then I was like, oh my God, I got I to take a piss and buy some popcorn. And then as soon as I bought the popcorn, they started closing the doors and it got like really dark. And it was all assigned seating too. So, I couldn't find my, it's such an old theater and it's so dark. I couldn't find like the letters of my, the number of my seats. So I just kind of, I just sat. All right, I Larry. Sat, <laughs> I, just, I just sat at like the first seat I saw and, and it was fine. But yeah, as soon as there was like no trailers, it was just like, boom, licorice pizza. I was like, whoa. And then <laughs> right on time. That's awesome. So keep in mind, guys, it's not our usual watch where we're at in our living room with a notepad or, or 
on our phone or anything like that. We're going to try to recall this from memory and from some notes I took on from the order cards at Alamo Draft House. <laughs> yeah, thank God you saw this today, Dan, because I'm going to say this right now. It's a movie that just has such fantastic dialogue, and that's like some of my favorite parts. And just given that I couldn't you know, write it down, a lot of it is already escaping me, but I know I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Is that in Westwood, the theater you saw? That you yeah. Went to? yeah, it was my first time there in that area, too. There's, like, the big uh, UCLA hospital there, so there was a bunch of people walking on scrubs around the theater, and I was like, oh, like, like a lot of hospital workers, and then um, there, was a th- there was a theater, like, right across the street from the Regency, too, so I don't know if that theater had any significance or history along with the, the one I watched at, so I don't know. It looked like a pretty cool neighborhood, really old-school L.A art deco type neighborhood it is crazy that it's only playing in one theater in la given that it's an la movie and i mean i know i think pta lives in brooklyn i think but i'm sure he has yeah yeah but he's such he's he's such an la filmmaker like he's yeah exactly so i'm just shocked that there's three places what two in manhattan one in brooklyn and then one in in la so sprawling so in in hall in uh i'm sorry in westwood so that's just kind of, I mean, you know, soon enough it'll be wide and going to like 3,000 plus theaters, but kind of crazy. So P.T. Anderson went to NYU. I believe he has a home in both New York and L.A. So Bi-coastal. He's bi-coastal. <laughs> cool. <laughs> cool. Awesome. I, I want to take it a little bit back here for High School Summer Party listeners a little bit more. What is your history with Paul Thomas Anderson? Like, what are some of your favorite Paul Thomas Anderson films? Um, definitely The Master was my first movie that I watched by him. That was like, wow, I, I really need to wow. do, uh, do a dig with uh, a That Paul was the Thomas first Anderson movie of his that you saw? No, it wasn't the first movie that I saw. It was like, oh, okay. it, it, was the, it was the one where I was like, I really, I, like, yeah, I saw There Will Be Blood and mm-hmm. When I watched There Will Be Blood, it was more about, it was like watching a Daniel Day-Lewis show. And then I watched... Um, <laughs> My boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, then, and then after watching the match, I'm like, wow, like I, could, I could really see the, the director working here. And that's how I kind of went down the rabbit hole for P.T. Anderson movies. So, Kyle, uh, I know you went to school and you studied film. Uh, is that where you really discovered... Paul Thomas Anderson, or was it in a different place? What's your history? I for? saw I rented Boogie Nights from Blockbuster in high school. Yeah, but okay, okay. So, so to be fair, the first Paul Thomas Anderson movie I saw was Boogie Nights. Did not know who directed it. Wasn't into Paul Thomas Anderson at the time. You know what I mean? First PTA movie I saw of his was Punch Drunk Love. Oh wow! I saw that when it came out. I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it when it came out, and I'm like, oh, Adam Sandler, and I didn't like it. <laughs> I was totally lost on it. That was a very Jiminy Click moment. <laughs> and I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it one bit. Oh, Adam uh, Sandler, I didn't like you. <laughs> He's not as funny as I thought he would be. Yeah, it's wearing a blue suit. It doesn't flatter him. Um, but not knowing it was the same director, I saw it was just like a mesmerizing. Uh, DVD cover of that um, cartoon uh, for Boogie Nights, and I saw that in in Blockbuster. Just, yeah, you know, as the, you, the as Boogie Nights, the Boogie Nights poster uh, and DVD cover, similar to Licorice Pizza poster we've been getting. And you know, uh, yeah. Dan, you mentioned the billboards, the subway ads by uh, in New York, like in that real cartoon style. So sorry, continue. 
Yeah, no, so then that's what made me rent that, and that was, um, even though it's uh, a prosthetic, I think that was the first uh, dick I ever saw on, on, on film, so. I'm glad you added the on film thing. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, and, and of course I didn't, I didn't, not nearly appreciate it the way I would come to in college. And it's not like it was that many years later, like, I, I, I mean... I guess I must have, I don't know how strict they were at Blockbuster if they would, if you were under 17 to, I mean, I must have been 17. I must have driven there myself and rented it. So I must have been of age to rent an R movie. But then cut to, I specifically remember in an editing class I had sophomore year of college showing the Alfred Molina sequence from from Boogie Nights as my favorite edit of a scene ever. So by then I was like, point being only like two years later, I was all in on it and that was you know it's always between that or goodfellas just as like my go-to favorite films and the rest of the journey is you know like then uh i guess watching magnolia and heart eight during college seeing there will be blood during college like you know in the theaters and then what's after that then them being so psyched for the master and i was bummed because i was working in kentucky on a show and i wanted to see it Seven that was on seventy millimeter or maybe sixty five millimeter as well as we got to see this movie, but at least it was showing in a theater in uh, Louisville when I was down there, so I got to go see it down there. And there was a bunch of like old people and I think a lot of veterans because they thought it was like a war, Navy war movie. The master. Oh my god! <laughs> and I'm just like looking around the theater with the biggest smile on my face when it's getting weird and Philip Seymour Hoffman's getting jerked off by Amy Adams. I'm just looking around the theater, just like really excited, <laughs> disappointed old people. And then, yeah, and then we saw uh, Inherent Vice together. And then, Brian, did we see Phantom Throat together? No. No? I didn't Dan, see Phantom did we? You might have. No, I, I saw I saw Phantom Thread at home. Oh, yeah, okay. I thought, I thought that was a really good movie, too. Maybe I saw... Definitely, yeah. I must have said... That's not a movie I would go see by myself. Maybe Manzi. But, yeah, nonetheless, that's my journey. So, for me, um, again, saw Boogie Nights as more of a 70s film, not like a PTA film. When, do you, when, when did you see it? Either high school or college, you know. Okay. I have to credit you, though, for the Paul, uh, getting me into Paul Thomas Anderson because I, for whatever reason, you know, after graduating college, you gave me a bunch of movies to watch from your collection. And two of them, Boogie Nights, it was just a rewatch, right? Uh, but mm-hmm. also Punch Drunk Love, which I hadn't seen at that point, believe it or not. Because I was like, this doesn't seem like a funny Sandler. Yeah. And we talked a lot about Paul Thomas Anderson then. Another. For whatever reason, you gave me like Jaramusha's like The Limits of Control. I'm trying to think of the other movies in that pack you gave me. Probably Broken Flowers too. Probably Broken. I think Broken Flowers. Yeah, like it was just like a, like six or seven films. Like this is what I'm watching. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I went to Ramapo. You know, and yeah. studied film. I have a di- I have a digital filmmaking degree. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we would talk about that. I know. I remember how psyched you were for the Master. Um, again, oh, God. 2014. The three of us saw Inherent Vice. But also, just studying P.T. Anderson more for us doing P.S. I Love Hoffman. And that show, we were able to see Heart 8. Phil Simmer Hoffman has a brief scene in that. It's great, but it's a brief scene in that. But Boogie Nights drives us to tears when we talk about Hoffman and Boogie Nights, you know? Oh, Scotty J. (laughs) Fucking idiot. Fucking idiot. Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love. He's he's in his first four films. 
He's not in there where we belong, but then he's the lead in the master, or one of the leads, you know. You could... Is he the master? Is Amy Adams the master? <laughs> I know, that was always, the... <laughs> always a debate. <laughs> so, oh, dear God! Oh. Five uh, Hoffman PTA collaborations. That's a lot. So, was able to do all that research there and just really get into this this guy. And, like, he's one of the true auteurs of our time, right? Uh, I found his work fascinating. Anytime he has a movie, it's a it's big news in my life. This one, though, uh, Licorice Pizza, he's a cinematographer as well. I don't know if you guys were aware of that. or He was on Phantom Thread as well. So... This uh, Phantom Thread in this, pretty big deal in that case, right? Because, like, he's always had these great cinematographers. From Boogie Nights um, with the tracking shot uh, in the party and everything like that. Always really revered. And then just always use of colors. I know that's not necessarily, that's also costume design and everything like that, set design. You're on the right track, Kyle, in a sense where... Hard eight, and we talked about this on Hoffman. He was upset the way they cut it. He didn't have AKA control. Sydney. He didn't have control of everything, right? When we get to Magnolia, that thing, which people love Magnolia, and I like Magnolia too, don't get me wrong, but that's like a true auteurist film, right? Yeah, it's his opus at that point, and he's on rec- record saying that movie's too long. Exactly, and that's why I bring it up. He even says today that that movie is too long that you know he feels like he was self-indulgent with that now he's a little bit more mature and he's in control of everything and i feel like when we saw licorice pizza whether you like it or whether you don't like it it's a hundred percent the movie that he wanted us to see yeah so he is totally in control but it's also one of his loosest movies if that makes sense no it's but it totally makes sense because i think that like if you want to go loose tight, as weird as that is, right? In previous films, there was a certain way I think he felt like he, the film needed to be. This has a... Effortlessness is a bad word, because it's not effortless, but like a... An aimlessness sounds negative, but I don't mean it in that way. But there's like a aimlessness to the film that he's just like shooting what he wants to shoot and telling the story he wants to tell, and he doesn't care about structure necessarily. Yes, there's a structure... I'm not saying it's like a avant-garde film at all, you know what I mean? But there's there's like a comfort in the filmmaker if that makes sense. Like I just felt like watching this I'm like this is what he, this is the story he wanted to tell. It fe- I feel like he's happy with this movie regardless of what people say about it. It's interesting you mention that because I think it's one of those movies where you if you watch Licorice Pizza and if you didn't know PT Anderson, would you have known it was him that directed it? You know? Huh. Wait, say the beginning part of that again. If would you would you have would you have known that this was a PT Anderson movie if you didn't know watching Liquor's Pizza? If I just went into that movie, would I guess that it was a PT Anderson movie? Right, right. Yes, I think that there's enough there that is a signifier of him as a as a director. I mean, th- I think there's a little bit from a lot of movies, you know, yeah, a little bit from a lot of his movies in this movie. You know, I mean, yeah, okay, so period piece. I mean, he's only done what three non-period pieces again heart 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 eight magnolia and punch drunk love so i mean he hasn't done also you know a non-period piece since uh punch drunk love uh he's done so many movies in the valley and then just yeah though even though he so this is only the second time that he's a cinematographer it just has a look 
of his and then just like his sense of humor. Um, so I think that there's enough there that I would have guessed that if someone just, if I d- didn't hear any, you know, obviously news that he's making a new movie and someone just threw me into a theater. But yeah, there is, uh, Brian, I under- understand. Yeah, it's like, you know, maybe we don't have the exact, the perfect vocabulary for it or whatever, but like the effortlessness to it or, um, there's just, I, I, you know, I really didn't know that it's not like the trailer really told us much about what this movie is about. I thought it was going to be about like a kid actor and his buddies kind of making like a film together. Like that's kind of like what I thought. And like this, you know, he was going to meet this girl and there was going to be like a love story. So then that's not really what the movie's about. I mean, the movie is just so many different sequences and this journey and this like kind of like over this summertime for these friends. Mostly teens. Uh, Again, that's the aspect that I got so excited about because as someone who does like these high school films or teen films, I was like, P.T. Anderson is doing a coming-of-age story? Yes! That's funny, though. When I I watched this movie, I'm like, wait a minute, it's a movie about essentially teenagers, but it it wasn't really a coming-of-age movie because, like, there are, like, really adult situations and adult settings. So I was like, basically, like, you could have taken the whole, same story and just replaced it with adult adult actors, and it could have it could have worked as well. And yeah, I thought I thought it was just kids in like extremely adult situations and adult dialogue and in adult environments. And maybe that's just part of the setting of like maybe being a teenager in the seventies, where things were just a lot more open, I guess, for the youth and not as not as compartmentalized for kids these days. Yeah, I think that's part of being a teenager in the seventies, like. You're just an adult. <laughs> that plus him being like a child actor. And being in a major city like L.A., right? Like, we're not talking yeah. about, like, uh, some kid in Nebraska or whatever. You're so right. It's such a different take on it. This isn't P.T. Anderson directing Ferris Bueller or anything like that, you know? Uh, <laughs> but it is young people growing up and, and exploring things. But, you know, in such a P.T. Anderson way that made me so excited. And again, right. I, you weren't, we weren't, we weren't watching like an episode of like Freaks and Geeks, and it's just like, oh, being a teenager sucks. And like, no, you know, <laughs> no, it was, and it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't even P.T. P. Anderson doing like Stand by Me, no. which obviously puts kids into some harrowing, harrowing scenarios. But um, no, the, Dan, like you're saying, it's just like kind of like kids de- like in this adult world and adult dialogue and. Um, Especially, especially how they treated each other too and how they talked to each other was very adult-like. Yes. So Cooper Hoffman is Gary Valentine. I'm going to see if you guys agree with me. Reminded me a lot of, jumping to another Anderson, he reminded me Louis. a lot. I'm sorry? Louis yeah, Anderson. Louis Anderson. <laughs> Louis Anderson. Uh, <laughs> he reminded me of the character. So Gary Valentine reminds me of Max Fisher from Rushmore, which... Hey, another Anderson, another high school movie. There's that, like, because Max Fisher in that movie just has, like, this exuberant confidence and just the way he is talking with adults and the way that Gary is walking into, I wrote it down, Tail O'Clock Restaurant, and he's just like, you know, yes, you know, two, two Cokes, please, you know. He's like, oh, oh that, I can that, get that's us. funny. You, you made that connection with um, with Max with Max Fisher. I was actually thinking of Rupert Pupkin in the beginning when he was... Oh, I said that too. I said that to Brian. Yeah. Maybe, I don't remember if I said that in the our little tease recording or if I just said yeah. that on the car ride back. But yeah, definitely just, Rupert just, too. Just how, just how, like, pompous and confident and just how persistent he is 
with uh, trying to hit on Alana. And yeah, a lot of it was just was just a lot of Rupert Pupkin in there, especially when he was like, oh, the Japanese food is magnificent. <laughs> but to me, and that's what brought it, like, this is still a coming-of-age movie, this is still a teen movie, because, and, you know, we'll talk a lot about Cooper Hoffman here, but his character is still a kid masquerading as an adult. It is masquerading, but just thinking about the overarching story, like, I think it's interesting that his 15-year-old character of Gary Valentine I feel like he's a bit more... He's still definitely learning a lot. I mean, he's 15 years old, and he's jumping from, you know, job to job in a way. But he has him... He's a bit more sure of himself, or like... Uh, or just a little bit more in the world than Alana, who's like 25. But that that totally makes sense to me as a teenager. Because, like, you're a little bit more cocksure as a teenager than in your mid-20s. Your mid-20s yeah, yeah. Is, is like one of your... The shittiest times in your life, but it's cool as hell. But it's also like there's a lot of mental struggles there, right? You're not like, oh my god, I thought I was going to be this. I'm not this. I'm yeah. this instead. You know what I mean? But when you're a yeah. teenager, like the world's so open for you. And I, I think he does in a lot of scenes again act like this adult. And when I say act, I don't think it's a facade to him. He believes it, which is again more teenage to me. No, that's even, hey, like, I mean, and this is not me, like, picking on you, but you're one of the few people that, like, I remember, like, in high school that would wear a blazer or, like, a corduroy jacket. Like, there I was, do like my you know, corduroy. Like, yeah, you love your corduroy. But there, but there is, like, a little something to that that was just, like, you know, more mature or whatever than, you know, wearing skater shoes and shit like that. At least pretending Typical, to be. Like, you know, wearing the MVOT sweatpants and shit like that. So, uh, is it only in 70 millimeter in theaters? I believe so, right? I think all, all of them are showing, yeah. So it was awesome watching it that way. You're a film guy, Dan. Do you appreciate the 70 millimeter? Yeah, I do. Absolutely do. For this one, I didn't really, I couldn't really tell a difference, but I, I really um, felt like like the, the saturation of the colors. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if it was like a, a certain stock of film that they were projecting, but it totally worked for um, like the setting of the 70s of the story. Definitely, definitely. I thought I thought the look was really great in that respect. I mean, P.T. Anderson is just, I mean, literally was a student of film and just such a student of film in the way that, like, Tarantino is. That Tarantino never went to film school, but they just watched tons and tons of movies. And so I love how I know when I go to a P.T. Anderson film that I'm going to get some of the most beautiful close-ups of our characters that you can ever get and this movie might be the best yet which again isn't something i mean that's something that you see one of his biggest influences is the late uh director jonathan demi who would do that amazing if you think of just go to i'll go to his most popular film of all time arguably silence of the lambs and you think of the beautiful close-ups we get you know those really tight head shots face shots of our of our lead characters and in this one it's just even Maybe it's not the most, like I was just saying, but it also seems and just really on my mind because this was just the most raw uh, of like actors and characters because we get to, you know, again, I mean, the actors are pretty equivalent to their ages of the characters. But I mean, I think when Cooper Hoffman was filming this, I think he was around 16. 16 or 17 16, 17 maybe. yeah we'll definitely yeah. talk a little bit more about the cast but just point being that like but you know like i mean he is 
you know, 16, 17 and imperfect and has, you know, like, and then that's what we also loved about his father and just, you know, was not your typical Hollywood leading man, but Cooper at this age with acne and, uh, you know, and both of them not with perfect teeth and just, I don't know, they're just eclectic looking and it just works so well for that time and the story and then just put that on 70 millimeter close-ups, uh, Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. I want to talk a little bit about production before we get into the cast. Uh, now that a little time has passed since we've seen the movie, Kyle, there's a little bit more production notes, which is great. So there's two really inspiring moments for Paul Thomas Anderson when it comes to the writing of this film, right? So the first one, around 2001, uh, PTA was walking by a junior high school. And he saw one of the students nagging one of the female photographers. And that's that's always been a prompt for him to write something, apparently. You know? So that's obviously happens here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A great great inciting incident. Yes. But I think the one uh, story that's been shared more than that is that this is based on a lot of stories from Gary Goetzman who is Tom Hanks' partner at Playtone. You know, Playtone is like a his film studio. They've done a bunch of stuff. But he was a child star. He was in the film Yours, Mine, and Ours with Lucille Ball. And basically he told, like, PTA all these stories about his life. And he's like, oh, I want to incorporate that. Um, this dude, before, like, partnering with, with Tom Hanks and making some, some of the greatest movies of our time, he... Between the child star and that, he actually did start a waterbed company and a pinball company. So that's directly taken from his life. <laughs> Do you think he got some money for this? <laughs> Who knows? The dude's probably rich anyway, but uh, I think that's super cool. Because that's like, you know, that's a true writer, right? Like taking like two things, putting it into one like awesome story. And then the, the title Licorice Pizza, a lot of people have been confused by that because it's not in the movie. Um, it's like a term for a record and it was a uh, record shop in california at the time a, a chain of record shops but again doesn't yeah. doesn't it was, appear it was bought out by sam goody which i mean none of them exist anymore but oh sam goody but as we said right like it doesn't appear in the movie at all that's interesting <laughs> brian i did read a fun fact that you'll appreciate this and your slumbers will appreciate it Fast Times at Ridgemont High had a scene at a licorice pizza. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I like that. Other than that, you know, not a lot of background on the movie. So we'll just jump into the cast, right? And we'll start with Cooper Hoffman, Gary Valentine. We've talked about him the entire time. Kyle, you and I have mentioned this too. This was out of nowhere, casting him in this film. Because he's never been in anything else. We hadn't heard that he was interested in acting. He's younger than we even saw his father be in any film. And as we watched, we both said the same thing after. Yes, there's a lot of his father in his acting, but there's a lot of things that he does completely different to him. Um, You know, his mother obviously grew up in in the industry as well. So I'm fascinated with his performance. So what do you guys think of his performance and his character and just like, you know, being the son of one of the greats here, Philip Seymour Hoffman? Oh man, I like, I didn't realize it was his first movie until I looked it up right before I came on here, and and I thought he was really good. I thought he was just like he was so natural with um like with his acting, like especially the first 
scene where he was so persistent with hitting on Alana, like that just took me back to, like I said before, like it was watching, it was like watching Robert De Niro do Rupert Pupkin. <laughs> That's awesome. King comedy. Yeah. How about you, Kyle? Everyone in this movie is captivating, but yeah, just given his age, uh, the first performance he's giving, I mean, I just, you know, I'm just like absolutely in love with the idea of, I mean, it obviously existed, but you know, that PTA directed him, but just, you know, so again, the five film collaborator with his father, but just like, oh, I wish I could have just been a fly on the wall and just heard like words of encouragement or just how he, you know, how PTA handled that scenario and just dealing with, um, you know, just, yeah, you know, him being the son of Phyllis Hoffman, be, you know, this rawness that he obviously must have just being such a young and you know first time acting in anything i believe obviously you know feature film and everything like that but i don't think i don't think he's made any cameos in anything or anything like that maybe maybe at most you know a student play and yeah just seeing him on screen and again like i said like i said before just the imperfections of, you know, he's going to be compared to his dad just in the sense of, you know, maybe the, whether they look alike or just, you know, the fact that they're both actors and everything like that. You know, he, but he also, he did, he made it his own. And you can, I could see things and just, I mean, since, uh, you know, it's like we almost have a degree in Philip Schumer Hoffman by doing the podcast. Just, I, I know things that his dad probably would have done differently. You know, I mean, his dad wasn't acting at that age. But there, there was enough of a difference, and and Phil Schumerhoffen tended to play such sad characters, and for the most part, this is a ha- also like a happy character, and just like such a such a positive character, which we didn't get that often from Philip Schumerhoffen. So it was just uh, just a real treat, and yeah, I remember that day that I think it was a group chat between you, me, uh, Joey Lewandowski, and Michael Manzi, the uh, you know the pod fathers of the network that we're a part of cage club podcast network and just being like, Holy shit. Cooper Hoffman is in the next PT Anderson movie. And it's about filmmaking and it's high school age people. We were just like, this is the best thing ever. Yeah. I mean, so excited for it. And he delivered. I'm really excited to see if he does anything again, what he decides to do. Is it going to be PTA stuff? Is it going to be striking his own somewhere? But awesome. I couldn't have asked for a better performance. He'll he'll be in the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> His foil here, Alana Haim of the band Haim, of course, plays a little bit, you know, she's a little bit older, plays that uh, 20-something-year-old character. We don't get her exact age here. Yeah, what did you think of Alana Haim's performance in this movie? A lot of people are digging it, so that's why I ask. I, I love the choice of her. Just She just like looks like a normal Jewish girl, totally relatable. It's pretty much like someone you know, someone that was in your class. She, she doesn't look like a typical L.A. Hollywood actress that would, that you know, I don't think P.T. Anderson would have casted, but just like she totally, she totally just looks the part, you know, 70s girl, Jewish in, in L.A. That was awesome watching her. Yeah. Yeah, she definitely has a look for that, you know, era which i mean you know hey costume department everything but having seen pictures of her since yes her first time acting as well and what a magnificent performance in that sense but uh obviously was already a very talented musician entertainer 
By the way, I just I always heard I I always said Haim as well, but then I was like listening to like reviews and people were saying Haim. Haim. Oh, oops. Yeah. A lot of I even wrote it down phonetically. I put yeah like hi um, but I I always said Haim sisters. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know, but uh, but yeah, no, she's got a great look again, just like a. It it is Haim. Haim. Ooh, a lot of Haim. I looked it up. You know, this is not me trying to pick on anybody but just you know it just imperfections and all which again kind of kind of goes back to just i feel like come the 70s like late 60s 70s we got more like very natural looking uh actors all around female and male and so it's just like a welcomed look for this film i think and then you know because then you get uh you know, you're traditionally more like Bradley Cooper as John Peters, you know, or, you know, oh my with a God. silly haircut, but amazing. Oh my God. Yeah. No, the, it's a, it's a great cast. People are just cast so well. I didn't even realize Sean Penn was in the film until I started watching it. I forgot that he was in it. I remember seeing him in the trailer and being like, is that like, you know, like it was like Sean Penn, like when he's on the motorcycle and he kind of looks like the Joker because of his grin. <laughs> and we'll probably talk about that scene, but Sean, the Sean Penn Tom Waits scene is amazing. I did do, want to bring up Bradley Cooper though, because he plays uh, the direct, the film producer John Peters, who actually did date Barbara Streisand at the time. Weird history, because not everyone in this movie is based on a real person, but he is. Well, a lot of people are based on a real person, but he is playing. The actual name of the person. Okay, yes, yes. Fair. Yeah. yeah. Like, he is playing John Peters, the actual producer. And this guy, if you look at his Wikipedia, insane Wikipedia, uh, film producer and hairdresser, a lot of sexual harassment, allegations against him. Ironically, Bradley Cooper produced, directed the new Star is Born film. Uh, it's not that new. What, was it two years ago with Lady Gaga? Yeah, it was like 2019, yeah. Yeah, and uh, John Peters had a, a producer's credit on it because he was a producer of the Streisand one, which is funny. And there was kind of a dispute there, and then Bradley Cooper ends up playing him. It's just... Yeah. Stry, Stry, Streisand. Yeah, Streisand. Streisand. Awesome. Streisand. Awesome. <laughs> that's, oh God, it's that's such a fun role and such a chaotic moment that reminded me a lot of um because this is a pretty light movie you know there isn't like uh like the stakes aren't incredibly high it has such odd moments like i mean like gary does get like arrested but it's just a really brief moment of mistaken identity but just the moment of john peters so yeah bradley cooper that that reminded me closest to a, you know, a more high stake moment, but like Alfred Molina and Boogie Nights, even because of the placement in the film that it was. I agree. I agree. It's definitely the parallel there. I've, I skipped this by accident, so apologies. Uh, Hiam sisters, all of them are in the film because and they her parents, yeah, and her parents. I was just going to mention the entire Hiam family plays her family in this movie. Her character is named Alana as well, so you could tell. I'm pretty sure Paul Thomas Anderson wrote the role exactly for her <laughs> to cast the old family. You know what I mean? Yeah, he probably had so many delightful Sabbath dinners with them, and and the dad is great. Like they're all great, actually. So uh, happy to see that. Yeah, some great dinner scenes with them. 
or interactions with them and a great dinner scene with them. So I just want to mention a couple other people. This is like a long, sprawling cast. Benny Safdie plays Joe Walks. Benny Safdie, of course, of the Safdie brothers, Uncut Gems. He's that mayoral candidate who I found out is a real candidate, like a real mayoral candidate who is a closeted gay man. So that's a true story, like that, what came from there. With the same name or based off of? Same name. Oh, wow. Okay. So, okay. Joel Locks. That Isn't that crazy? That is, yeah. You know, we got to see him act in, uh, the, you know, uh, uh, Good Times, which he was co directed with his brother. And then uh, I think I said on the brief episode we did, he's also going to be in, like, the uh, Obi Wan show or something like that. One of the stuff. Oh, yeah. So, we'll be seeing more of him on the screen versus just behind the camera. But, yeah, he was. Uh, he was good in this movie. That was, if I was going to say, like, that part of the movie kind of, like, slowed it down for me. I don't know how you guys felt about it, since this is a movie that jumps around a lot. Or I shouldn't say jumps around a lot. Just has much more, like, just, like, journeys in it and, like, segments, kind of. It was it was gearing up, and then that kind of moment, like, lulled for me a little bit. Um, I actually liked it. I didn't mind it. I thought it was an interesting segue because we started to invest in her character a little bit. She just wants to get out of her environment. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, for her character development, for sure, yeah. I thought it was paid off really well. Because she's kind of, like, seeing the guy that got her the job. Not really, but, like, there's a potential there, but, like... When the candidate calls, she's like, oh, I can upgrade this a little bit. When she goes out with him and doesn't really go out with him, you know. I liked it in a sense because I thought it was paid off well. Just to round off the cast, though, Mary Elizabeth Ellis, we know her from It's Always Sunny as the mom, if you will. Mama Anita, she's credited as. Thought she did a really good job, too. Yeah, as, as Gary's mom. Yeah, Gary's mom, yeah. We got some cameos, right, from like John C. Riley uh, as one of them. Yeah, Dan, did you catch that? Oh yeah, the uh, um, the Frankenstein. As, yeah, yeah monster. As, as Herman Munster, yeah. yeah, yeah. His, his his voice was like really distinct. Like people people started laughing when, when that. When that <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. Herman Munster. <laughs> I forget what he said. But there was uh, George DiCaprio, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio's father. Yes, he was Mr. Jack. Was was he the guy in the waterbed store? Or yes, the, uh... he is exactly. Okay. He is. I, I I read that. Like I saw like an article showing that, and that. Oh man, that gave me one of the biggest laughs when he's just like, yeah, man. And there's just like that sexy woman that's trying to help sell the mattresses too. And those like, I know this movie gets really also like it's a it's it might be his funniest film. Uh, definitely the film that I think goes for the most laughs. I think it's the funniest because it doesn't have like Boogie Nights is hilarious, but it has such dark moments that like you know what I mean. Like yeah, yeah, you. La- I mean, I feel bad for Scotty J, but like the fucking idiot part. Like maybe the first time you see it, like, and then the more you think about it, you're like, oh my god. But just like it also does invoke a little bit of like silliness just because of the repetition and stuff like that but even i was gonna say the cinematography in this film i think even like has a sense of humor like he really is since he's the i guess since he's the writer the director and now the cinematographer like he's using the visuals also as great punchlines for sure and uh dicaprio pt anderson was interested in having him in the film i'm not sure for what role sorry Leo as, as john peters uh john peters there's a whole yeah there's a whole weird scenario of then um uh of just like uh 
also Guillermo del Toro's new movie Nightmare Alley, and maybe that was going to be DiCaprio, Bradley Cooper, and it just like I don't know. It all came down to scheduling conflicts with these guys, and Bradley Cooper got to be in both of these nice, uh, nice projects. Yeah, Christine Ebersole plays Lucille Lucille Doolittle, who's based on Lucille Ball, and that's supposedly like a pretty true story. Yours, mine, and ours. Um, the dude who worked for Tom Hanks was in the film. They went on the Ed Sullivan show, and apparently he said something off color. And Lucille Ball would like want to kick his ass, <laughs> which is hilarious to me. So this movie is getting really, really great reviews, except for a couple things. And Kyle, you and I slightly touched on it in our non-spoiler episode. Yeah, and Dan, this is the only reason we're having you on. The no, episode. this is not the only reason we're having you on. Why? Uh, no, a lot of people are very upset with John Michael Higgins' character. Uh, he plays Jerry Frick. He's an L.A. businessman who owns Japanese restaurants. And, you know, in the movie, frankly, he does a racist Asian accent. Um, a lot of people are upset by this. We we, can't, we don't know P.T. Anderson personally, but, like, uh, uh, Kyle, why don't you uh, say what you said in our non-spoiler episode for, like, what you believe P.T. Anderson was trying to say here, and then we could open it to the floor I mean, I think he was just trying to, you know, there's just so much showing of, like, what's going on at the time. And also, I mean, definitely reflecting on today's world and, like, you know, PC culture and what's cool and what's not cool, obviously, these days. But, I mean, at that time, I mean, even before the 70s, I mean, you had Mickey Rooney and, like, Breakfast at Tiffany's and told... No, that, yeah, like, that, but that's, like, very much racist, yeah. Yeah, it's very much racist and whole, like, you know, makeup and everything like that. But just with this time and just, like, I mean, uh, Japanese culture and cuisine coming into, like, the world at that point. I mean, it's uh, also touched on a little bit. America. Not really the world. Yes, yes, in America and on, 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 like, the West Coast and stuff like that. I mean, it's also touched on a little bit in one of my favorite films, Zodiac. You know, trying sushi and everything like that. And it's also, in that moment, I think, to show a very kind of the world that... Uh, Gary and his mom are living in in their PR firm and just the clients that they have to deal with and obviously it's not painting him in a good light whatsoever then I will play a little devil's advocate right now and just like by reading you know certain reviews and stuff like that a lot of people are bringing up but what does it add to the story like you get obviously in a, I'll just since I mentioned the director before I'll bring up Tarantino again and in a movie like Django Unchained and using the N word throughout it obviously very uncomfortable and a horrible 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 word but is used lack of a better word appropriately in that movie or necess- like necessarily to a little bit of storytelling like yeah like by in this movie what does having that character and then doing that, you know, horrible, uh, you know, accent or just whatever you want to call that. Uh, you know, what does it add to the movie? So that's what I'm reading also as, you know, like the argument for it or against it. I mean, a lot of people are talking about this. I think when it goes to the wide release, that that's going to be something that people will knock the film for, for better or worse. Uh, Dan, what was your take on this? Um, yeah, when I saw that scene, I was, I was kind of like, oh, is this, is this scene supposed to be funny? Or is it just a reflection of what time was 
back then, like what people were like back then. But I don't think, I don't think, I don't think it was because like it happens enough where it's just like kind of ridiculous. Like it's just like, even to the point where he's like, oh, I don't even speak Japanese. I don't know what I'm talking about. But like me personally, I, I didn't think it was funny. Not because, oh, like, because I thought it was racist. I just simply just thought it was like, like it was just like a corny, it was just, it was just like a very corny moment in the scene in, in the movie that I thought was, didn't really contribute to the whole story, but you know, like that's okay though. Not every dialogue or scene has to contribute to the story, but yeah, I think it would definitely be a point of conversation for you know for for people or Asians who might get upset upset at that scene. But I didn't think it really added anything to the story. I didn't think it was funny, not because it was I thought it was racist or anything, but like Kyle said, it could have been you know, just another way to show how people were back then. It definitely, they definitely doubled down on it. And when he came back, I'm like, please don't let him do that voice again. <laughs> and of course he does. Like, again, to, sh- to, sh- to show him as like, oh, these are the kind of clients they're dealing with in their PR firm. Because that's the whole thing. Like, he's, you know, selling himself as this, like, actor, but he's not really doing that much. And then pretty much the only acting we see him do besides that bit of stage stuff He's automatically there, like, you know, Maya Rudolph gets a cameo, you know, obviously very famous in her own right, but wife of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, first movie that she's in uh, of his. And in that exchange with her right away, like, oh, you're huge. Like, you got big. Like, you're no longer like a kid actor. Like, most likely this guy is not going to have a successful acting career. At least that's what I got from this movie. So just seeing then his ventures in PR and then as a mattress, waterbed mattress salesman to uh, pinball uh, arcade. But just, yeah, getting back to that character and doing that voice. Yeah, what does it add to the movie? And that's reading people's problems with it. Just like, yeah, like. I don't think I really, as a not a betting man, but if I was going to bet, I don't think Paul Thomas Anderson just put it in for laughs. But how is the audience going to respond? Are more people just going to find it funny? Because then that's not right to have in the movie. But I don't know. I would love. Yeah, I guess in 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 the end, I would love to hear why that character exists and why that voice exists and why multiple scenes and all that. Yeah, and I think to give it some historical context too, like I think during the 70s, obviously it was after World War II with Japan and it was after the Korean War. And I think during those years, you had a lot more, you had a more of an influx of Asian immigrants um, to America um, sure. after those, especially after those wars. So I think like maybe, especially during those early times of immigration, maybe like the the racism towards Asians was a lot stronger than it was today. I don't know. I mean, that's 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 what I'm guessing. I mean, just the character is horrible, and the fact that like the second time we see him, he has a different Asian wife. Mm-hmm. Like you know, yeah. And I think like that's ultimately what B.J. Anderson was trying to do is trying to show like these guys who like fetishize like what he sees in his exotic culture, and he's trying to pro- he's profiting off of it. But I can't pretend that I wasn't in the theater. Kyle and I didn't like look at you like oh my god is this happening? Yeah, no, there was an audible ooh in the theater. Like, yeah, it was pretty. Like, at first, like it was an awkward. Really? Ha, ha, ha. Y- yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, where'd you guys? That's funny. Where'd you guys see it? Brooklyn. Brooklyn. And people were like ooh like that during that scene. Yeah, there was there was a, there was a, there, there was, was a, a chuckle at the. First there was a, yeah, there was an awkward chuckle like oh. But then when he continued, oh, there was like a. Oh. 
Yeah, like, whoa, no, you know, like... Because people here, people just laughed here. <laughs> and, and, yeah, people just laughed, and that was it. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't think there were any malicious intents from Paul Thomas Anderson. But was it handled delicately? Not so, but I think in the end exists to show a little bit of what was okay at that time, what was happening at that time. Because, I mean, this is a movie that's not right on top of you but like you know the fact that they have water beds in this movie that they have pinball machines and oil shortage nixon on the tv it's like remember this is the 70s yeah yeah and if we're going to talk about things being pc like the 70s was i mean the the movie it was a very on pc movie because because you know if you think about it like alana and women in general in this movie they're all like treated like shit they're all, and the, they're all well, just, and and the age difference between our two leads. Yeah, right? yeah. So just to put a capper on the uh, John Michael Higgins thing, I think that the fact that we devoted so much time to talking about it, the fact that so many people are devoting a lot of time to this, means it's a misstep to me. You know, like it, it distracted from the movie. You got to mark it down a little bit because of that. Uh, but what you're saying is correct, though. Yes, the way women are depicted in this movie. I think it's as accurate to the time. Um, and I think we're supposed to look like... Like, Alana, the fact that she's... When she's, like, parading in a bikini for the opening scene and she's like, I'm the manager or whatever. Like, that's... You're you're supposed to feel a certain way about that, you know? Well, that and then I'd say the second most awkward exchange in the movie is when Gary brings her to his agent? Is that what she... Manager? Yeah, yeah, that's a great scene. And the whole... Juno's thing like that definitely but that also again is very reflective of the time and in a bit of a way they he's commenting on what's still exists slash what is a topic of conversation in you know today's world and ironically you're saying women are treated horrible in this movie but it is really I think the first movie his I mean Phantom Thread you know I mean it's still it's Daniel Day Lewis but that a- actress had a predominant, I forget her name, forgive me, but she had a prominent role in it. But this really is like co-leads. And then it kind of, like Brian, like you're saying, the kind of the second half like becomes definitely more her story. Yeah, I don't think women are treated horrible in the movie by P.T. Anderson. I think he's depicting... No, 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 no. I think no, he's I'm depicting just... women being treated no, horrible. Yeah, right, right. For the setting, for the time in like the 70s. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I know. I'm not saying that P.T. Anderson treated them horribly. But I'm just saying it's... But then for the movie to be about that. And it's interesting. I mean, this is his ninth feature film. And so that we have like, you know, definitely co-lead, if not the lead of this film is Alana Hyam. Hyam. Yeah. But the other thing with her and him in terms of Alana and uh, Cooper Hoffman's character, Gary Valentine is the age difference in the romance. And that's something I think you and I touched on a little bit in our, non-spoiler episode but we can touch on a little bit more here they never really consummate it until the end of the movie and not even consummate it in a sexual way you know um there's this tension throughout and pt anderson uses our modern lens in this because i would say for the entire history of this if a young man hooked up with an older woman guys were like oh right you know what i mean it wasn't like considered as taboo let's just be frank about that right yeah whenever you heard a male student sleeping with a female teacher it wasn't you know in the end obviously disgusting and illegal but it was always like 
much more of a fantasy, I give air quotes to this, than like the other way. But I think P.T. Anderson uses our more 2021 lens with that. Specifically in that scene where they're both on the bed and you think that they might do something. And they kind of just like touch briefly. He Well, she's asleep. He touches her. Yeah, which is, again, ups the ante in potential creepiness, right? Yeah. But but he touches her, but it's not. it doesn't go beyond that. No, it goes into his teenage fascination of just like when she then drops him off and then comes back and's like you want to see my boobs can i touch him then he gets slapped like it's just that is just the age of the perv switch you're just your testosterone is it's not excusing anything but that's like what's incorporated into this movie like that is the immature as mature again air quotes to it as he is and he's talking with adults and having adult language he is still a 15 year old that hasn't seen a pair of boobs yet i did not feel that she was like grooming him at any point in this movie you know if anything, she's avoiding him. Her main goal is to get out of her situation, which I think is always a good goal for a, a movie character. And yeah, she she dates the, his uh, castmate who's a little older at one point. That's a hilarious scene when he goes to the dinner table. And he's oh, like, yeah. Well, uh, I wrote down the character's name at one point. Oh, Lan- Lance Lance Brannigan. Lance Brannigan, yeah, and I like that guy. He's a he's a good actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff now, and yeah. like he's like, oh, I'm an atheist, <laughs> you know, at the table. And it's like, come on, man, just lie for a second, like just yeah. to make the conversation less awkward. Oh, and then that exchange outside with the show me your penis. What kind of penis do you have? Yeah, what kind of penis? Do you have? <laughs> yeah, just, Kyle, like that that scene, that whole penis uh, dialogue scene. That was a scene, like you mentioned, how. He uses the uh, cinematography humorously, like you can see the camera panning back and forth, back and forth, like <laughs> yeah. as if you were like a direct audience, like, oh, like, what is he going to say? What is she going to say? And I thought that was pretty uh, yeah. humorous camera work in that. That was, in that, that, was the, that, the, that, that was one yeah. of the bigger laughs. Yeah, scenes, I, yeah. Love, I, I, loved, I loved Lance in that movie, like how he introduced himself on the, on on the, the airplane. airplane. Oh, oh his airplane, outfit? Yeah. Isn't he wearing like the, <laughs> he, turtle, the turtleneck with the blazer, right? And he, and he speaks Spanish. What is he yeah. like, como estas? He's like, yeah. bien, bien. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. I, I, thought he was, I thought he was awesome in that movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Lance Brannigan played by Skylar Gazzando. Sorry, Skylar, if I'm saying that wrong. Does uh, does a really great job here. Yeah, he was funny. He was in the um, the sequels, like the sequel uh, series to Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah, and he has a great he has a great rapport with uh, Paul Rudd in that because he's like the hot shot uh, camper or whatever. Yeah, no, he was he he was he was so good in that dinner scene. Uh, uh, he was so in a movie good, we yeah. he was in a movie we covered here in Hot Slumber Party, uh, Booksmart. He was uh, oh fun, yeah a funny character in that as well. So, what were some of the other just really moments scenes you remember from this film that you want to, uh, that we should talk about today? Uh, I felt like I felt like Alana's character. She was somebody who was like like you said trying to get out of her situation. That was her main goal, but her process of doing that was she's basically attached herself to a man or, or an occupation and every situation, every situation she's, she's in, she just ends up being somehow just used as a, just a prop or 
somehow exploited. Which I think is very typical of the era of, of the 70s. So Right, I, right. Yeah, let's just break down. When we meet her, she's going around holding a mirror for students to look at before they get their class photo. That's how we meet. I mean, the beginning of this movie, we first meet Gary Valentine in you know he's fixing his hair in the bathroom and then like someone throws like what like a what the cherry bomb right in the toilet yeah. and then so it's just like okay adolescence at its purest you know you know just boys being boys and like i don't know cherry bombs i feel like at least in like pop culture when we were growing up uh we're still just like such a big like a bart simpson kind of thing so like you know how like you know how persistent gary is when he first meets alana like yeah. just, 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 con- just like never giving up is like wanting to take her out, wanting to be your boyfriend. Like, would that be possible today without without it being called out as harassment? No, but at the no. time, no, at the time in the seventies, that was encouraged. It encouraged young boys. I mean, growing up, I felt like people were encouraging young men to do that. You know, like just never give up. You know, you got to make yeah. her date you. <laughs> And then you just even had sayings like boys will be boys as well. So it was like that would be if someone did it any probably like a a younger male doing something like that would be like, oh, boys will be boys. You know, yeah, all right, you're right. Just make sure they never do it again. (laughs) But so as far as Dan, like you were saying, attaching yourself. So, I mean, she's got this job assisting for like a photography agency and that guy even like slaps her on the ass. And then via uh, Gary, she is first his chaperone to New York and then is helping him with the mattresses and she really sexes herself up on the phone to sell some mattresses and makes it very awkward in the office. And then she's in the store, Brian, as you said, with the bikini. And then she's not really part of the pinball venture, right? Because that's when she goes into politics. Yes, but we're, we're missing a moment before that that I really want to talk about. So before politics... And mid mattress is is the uh, what you brought oh, the yeah duh the audition so, not just with the agent but once she auditions for that part as Rainbow in whatever that dumb movie was supposed to be and that's where <laughs> she meets uh, Sean Penn's character Jack Holden it's like you remind me of Grace <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> the Sean Penn scene or like the set of scenes with him and Tom Waits just at that restaurant and then eventually on the golf course so, uh, so uncomfortable to watch so, that's so good yeah. But, yeah but tom tom waits in his gravelly voice so good how they're how they, how sean uh sean penn and tom waits they were like they're like reminiscing it's, i don't know it sounded like they were talking about like the korean war and she goes what are you guys talking about like are, are we going to korea like <laughs> talk right over her well, that's the whole thing. So he's uh, so the, so it's Jack Holden, but he's that's supposed to be William Holden. Theoretically, yes. Yeah, and then the movie that they're mentioning in that they're using like the war dialogue is exact dialogue from Bridges at uh, Toko Ri, and that there's a play they mention another movie like Bridges at Toko Sai or something like that in this movie, and so. It's just a mo- another moment, like, it's, because, again, while I thought it was going to be a movie, um, a lot more about movie-making process in that time, um, I think that's maybe what, even, more, like, one of the earliest, like, assumed plots, like, uh, was, or something like that, but point being, you have this old guard of William Holden, and uh, I forget what director he's supposed to be, and then you kind of get, like, Bradley Cooper at that time, 
And then you see, like, even then, like, obviously, uh, Cooper Hoffman and just, like, that stage of the process of, like, where where the roles are going and, like, what, what like how, how Hollywood is changing and how the old guard at that time. I mean, this is very, to bring him up for the third time, PTA's, like, love letter to this time and just reminded me a lot of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. And that being, and that being Tarantino's love letter obviously different style but yeah absolutely yeah, I'm definitely yeah different style that. different s- story altogether. just la at that that you know really specific slice and you know not unfamiliar to both of them you know just with la and specifically pta with the valley yeah that that whole scene and just talk about the age difference i mean nothing happens between her and sean penn but uh at least not shown on camera or whatever but yeah, just like that drastic age difference. But dead, dead every time. Just bringing up Grace and Grace Kelly. Like you remind me of Grace. Yeah. I love though when they're on the golf course and she falls off the motorcycle, just like that thud. Yeah. Oh, and then what a beautiful tracking shot between. Then um, we get to see Cooper Hoffman running, kind of reminiscent of uh, Joaquin Phoenix in the fields and the master, and just him. The yeah. running shots in this. By the way, the trailer for this movie is awesome because the way that they have them running. I mean, there's multiple. There's different times. There's him running in that moment. She's running earlier to the police station when he gets arrested, and they're both they run to one another at you know at the end of the movie. What was that scene where that scene when Gary gets arrested? And <laughs> Alana's awesome. like she's got her she's got her hand on the windshield. I'm trying to remember like what movie is that from. I've definitely seen that shot before where uh. like the, the girl is following the guy being arrested and she's got her hand on the windshield as the police car drives away. That's, that was definitely, I yeah. like we've seen that somewhere before and I'm, I, mean, I just couldn't figure out where it was. But you're it was right, what Dan. Out from. It reminds me of Dan. I know you're what you're saying, like hands on the window. The only thing that's yeah. reminding me of, the only thing that's reminding me of right now is in almost famous when she's running after the bus and she's like, your mom left a message. And then she runs into the pole, but it's, there is something that hands on the w- window. Yeah. That's also the scene yeah. where she goes like "fuck off, teenagers." Yeah. Oh, there's so that's the whole thing. There's so many great like little lines of this movie. I wish <laughs> I could have seen it for a second time uh, before recording this. I definitely will yeah. see it another time in theaters. But there's so many great little lo- like line nuggets, you know. There was that scene where uh, I think she was. It was after um, Lance got kicked out of their their family dinner, and. Alana is sitting outside in front of their home with their sister smoking a cigarette or smoking a joint. Yeah. And her sister's just like, you have to stop fighting with everyone. She's like, well, fuck off, I don't care. She walks away. <laughs> yeah, she, she goes, fuck off, Danielle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. I need that sound bite. <laughs> a couple other things I had in my notes. Kyle, and I wrote this to you while we were watching the movie together. You're like, oh, my oh, God. Yeah. We were like, is this a Mattress Man origin story? Uh, it's not, but or maybe it is. I don't know. I don't think so. But, of course, Phil Seymour Hoffman, our main man, played the Mattress Man in Punch Drunk Love. And then his son is in a P.T. Anderson movie selling mattresses. And I was like, oh, my God. Could you imagine that's oh the reveal God. at the end? <laughs> that would be amazing. That would have been amazing. Very not like P.T.A., but amazing. I got a little confused. The connection between, like, how did he... He walks into Mr. Jack's store, and he sees the waterbed, and he lays on the waterbed, and there's there's the uh, there's like the very pretty woman talking to him, and then, and then it just cuts to him just selling mattresses. Like, did I miss something in between? 
No, no. It, no, there's a few moments like that in this movie. I think that's where, like, PTA, like, heard these real stories. And was like, I gotta have the kids sell mattresses, you know. But okay. it makes sense, you know, in a sense where he's just such a young entrepreneur. He's always listening for, like, what the next great idea is. And through his acting, he's got a little bit of money. So he's got, like, enough seed money to invest in, like, one or two things. I actually liked his entrepreneurial spirit when it came to these First the mattress selling and then the pinballs, right? Like, that shit grows. It goes from... What were they calling it first? Soggy Bottoms, right? Soggy Bottoms, yeah. Which was going to be the title of the movie. (laughs) Gotta love them for the title of the movie. Like, it just... They never are in a licorice pizza. It's not a... While they're... You know, this is maybe his most... uh, His second biggest soundtrack next to Boogie Nights... It's not as musically driven in that sense. So, yeah, just it's kind of interesting the title that he went with or the title that he had before. <laughs> the next scene that I really wanted to bring up was the uh, the John Peter scene. Just this whole element of delivering the mattress, putting the hose in the bedroom. Yeah, just number Okay, so we didn't mention really the character his uh gary's younger brother yet who's amazing oh, yeah. he's amazing Dan, doesn't that just remind you of like i don't know at some points he reminded me of like gary morland like this younger brother i don't know there's something someone someone who went to high school with right yeah someone we went to high school oh with. just like he just had this very like sitting back like kind of like <laughs> i love you know, yeah i love the little brother that yeah he looked like a creature up. from like fraggle rock and <laughs> Just like I, he's I, like I, he's like the most seventies looking kid ever. Yeah, just a perfect seventies looking kid, and um, and that's where like just given the sh- shots that were in the trailer and stuff like that, I thought it was going to be like this, you know, group of friends like making you know short films together, which just made me think of us in high school and making films and stuff like that, and just kind of going around because that's what a lot of this movie is. Um, there's a, it just feels like a lot of meandering. Just like kind of like people like walking around and all of a sudden like a scenario happens. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. the whole movie. The whole movie was like very episodic. It was just like it was like one venture after another. Vin- it wasn't vignettes. like it wasn't like a yeah. It was like yes, yeah, perfect like a vignette. It wasn't like this linear story. It was just like these little little situations after another. Yeah, well, it just felt like things like all of a sudden we're just watching like them in their summertime and just like one day maybe you'll just be like by the pool the next day it's going to be like oh like let's i don't know ride our bikes to over here and see what's going on that's what i meant by like aimlessness of the film it's not that he's like not trying but there's not this like linear it's linear in a sense that it's like chronologically linear but it's not linear in a sense where we're like constantly progressing to something there's a series of vignettes and I know you want to talk about the John Peters, but before we get into like that specifics of that scene, this film again reminds me of a, a lot of his films. I just the three it reminds me of the most is Punch Drunk Love because of its you know the biggest love story. Uh, I mean, I guess you can make an argument for Phantom Thread and the weird love story that's going on there, and even parts of the Master. But really, but Punch Drunk Love like 
these are definitely his two biggest love story movies. And then Boogie Nights for the you know 70s-ness and the sprawlingness of that. Uh, but then Inherent Vice, because I feel like this has a lot of in common as far as decisions and storytelling as the same as inherent vice i feel like inherent vice you know there's just like that transition from the 60s and 70s and conspiracy and pot and so like that confusion there that fog and i feel like pt anderson i know that's an adaptation from uh what is that thomas pinchon or whatever pinchon uh book but i feel like he tries to make this meta moment that we're just as confused as uh Doc in that movie as Joaquin Phoenix's character. So in this movie, I feel like the movie, like between its scenes and its storytelling, is almost as like meandering and like on its own little journey as our characters are in the movie. Yeah, yeah, I like that. But to get back to John Peters, <laughs> no, no, no. But um, because John Peters is just like another adventure. I think a lot of people thought that in this movie. Uh, how could I put it? That Bradley Cooper's third build, I believe, and they thought that he was going to be a larger part of the film. But I think yeah. if you know P.T. Anderson, like, no, like, that's not necessarily going to happen, right? Like you said, it's, like, similar to the Alfred Molina thing. And it's just wild. The fucking truck stuff is wild. Oh, that's great. I mean, I love that. Uh, I love the credits of this movie, you know, the closing credits and, like, all the images of the characters. And that's the one of his that's in the trailer of him using, like, the windshield cleaners from the gas station and like <laughs> crashing into the cars or whatever he's just so i mean the fact that like john peters is supposed to be like you know kind of a womanizer and stuff like that and gonna die from sex and too much sex or hey do you like you. peanut butter sandwiches <laughs> <laughs> exactly perfect i don't need to go into it anymore that's exactly what it is just so, so good and just the fact of uh, Gary getting so ramped up and like saying like, yeah, he said he was going to kill my brother and just like everything that happens with that. And Alana reversing that. I mean, just that whole very, uh, situational, like, you know, they're, they're just about to leave and he's walking up the hill. Got to bring him to the gas station. Le- they leave the gas station and then they <laughs> go up there and then they run out of gas. And that was, you know, again, for a movie, in comparison to a lot of other PTA movies where there's crazy sex scenes, crazy drug use, crazy murders or fights, like not a lot of physical things happen in this movie, but the tension is still there that we experience in a lot of his other films. And this is one of the more, you know, definitely the, the, yeah, these vignette scenes, like her on the motorcycle, like, oh shit, what's going to happen? But then she just like falls right off the back and like, oh shit, he's going <laughs> to find out, like he's going to go in the house and the house is going to be flooded. Nope. Like he just gets the can and then they bring him back down. And it's just like, it's really riding the, the line of just, uh, you know, like we're almost running on empty as well. <laughs> like in that nervousness that when you see the E-light come on. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I love that. I love the tension, and I love how it's resolved, too. It's not like a meet the parents. I don't know why I'm thinking about that. But you know what I mean? Those movies, those Ben Stiller movies that keep upping the ante, where you're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? It wasn't that. Yeah, we were talking about that on Just Friends. <laughs> true, true. The last major vignette we get is the one we we talked about, where Alana decides to work for the mayor and kind of just, like, better her life. I love she's like, I'm a politician now. 
Yeah, that that scene was that scene was intense because the 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 fight and the argument that they got into it was almost like it was that was a, that was like as adult as it can mm-hmm. as it can get how Gary gets in the car and she's like don't start the car like you drive away you know like it was a it was a very adult situation in in that scene just, just the way they just the way they were arguing and fighting and how he just drives how he's leaving he just drives away yeah 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 because when she's working for this politician it's that's you know it's a scene i mentioned where she goes to the restaurant uh, yeah and yeah under the false pretenses of it being a date and then she's just the cover-up for his partner and him which i thought the interaction between the partner and her after Uh, they left the restaurant was like this is an unexpectedly great moment like a great scene oh it's just such a great exchange yeah yeah, I, that's why, like, I know you had mentioned that, like, there was a lot of, you felt some lulls during this, but again, It just I, felt like it was building up to something with the, with the, with the Bradley Cooper moment, and then we kind of, like, went back down the hill. Yeah, it's like a different episode of the show. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Yeah. <laughs> we get this, whether it's a friendship or a romance, it's really hard to say. It's a little bit of both in this movie, but when, he, you know, he gets the tip, he opens the pinball thing. And he just misses her, and he's just waiting for her to show up. And I think we've all had those moments where we just want that person to come through the door, and then they don't come through the door. And yeah, he's he's even taking his anger out, like he's like throwing a little kid out. He's like, "Yeah, you stay out." Like, just like <laughs> having his own. And I love he's wearing that all white suit. It's so good. He gets it tailored just for the event. Yeah, with the pink shirt. It's, I love how, as a fifteen-year-old, he can just open up this these doors. And yeah. I don't know if that, I don't know if that, maybe that was, maybe that's another thing that was, I don't want to say easier back then, but it was, things were just more within reach economically. I don't know. Oh, but no, he, they, de- they definitely were. They definitely were. They definitely yeah. were. I mean, so, he, you know, yeah, I'm sure he has some spending money from these acting gigs that he's had and stuff like that. But I think the way they present it, I mean, the fact that he even says like that his mom is his employee in the beginning. And it might be just talking or whatever, but clearly they got this PR firm. And then, you know, it's the it Rupert like, Pupkin in him. Yeah. Well, it's the Rupert Pupkin that. in him. And then it's just like, I feel like a word or a, a phrase that was used a lot of the time. Like, they're all like latchkey kids in a way, you know? Yeah, but you could definitely at the time get away with. There was lower threshold for starting a business. And certainly the money, money wise, right? Like, my father. In the 80s, opened his like first bodega with money he had under the mattress, cash that he had saved. You know what I mean? That's yeah. not even feasible today, right? Like, so I, I think I, I'm glad you guys brought it up because I think a young person watching this would be like, "How can they open a store like that?" But back then, it really wasn't that exp- expensive. The landlord to open. was probably like, "Can you just give first and last month's rent or whatever?" No, essentially, yeah, no, exactly. Like, it wasn't that crazy to be able. To- no, no credit card checks and <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying a kid was able to to do it like that because that's but he again we we know he's a little bit more adult but there were certainly i remember I had an uncle of mine who like it, it was a little bit of in a condescending way and he's like he essentially he was like when i was your age i had opened my own store already and i was like 24 and he was talking about that you know yeah <laughs> yeah just back then it was a lot easier to do that kind of stuff it's it doesn't i don't want that to take away though from how uh, just enterprising this kid is because he hears an idea and then it happens, you know? Yeah. That's hard to do even for an adult. And I think it's super cool in this movie. The one other scene 
that also comes to mind as far as like a favorite one and it's a, a totally different vibe than all this other like some silliness and stuff like that is um earlier in the film when he discovers when he's like grabbing another another food scene grabbing hamburgers with his mom and he's like oh can we go home with them or whatever um oh yeah see sees her with lance brannigan and when he calls her oh yeah and yeah. just that awkwardness oh my god that was that was his father in that moment like that he was <laughs> that was just so good and just the way he looks at his brother and holds up his finger to his mouth she's like i hear you breathing Ah, uh, it was just like I mean, someone I I saw like a mashup of him on the phone and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman on like phone scenes. Like one person did it to obviously the like Mattress Man, and then there's that phone scene from Happiness. Happy-ish? Happiness. Happiness. Imagine um, he goes, I'm "Such an idiot." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was just like such a good uh, call. Such a, yeah, so 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 good. That 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 scene really stuck out to me too. Yeah, also like the dark, like the way it's shot, like how dark his home is. And, and both the, both the siblings are watching TV. I love yeah. that part too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the mirrored siblings, but the young young brother just like always looked like he was like a little stoned or something like that. He was just such <laughs> yeah. a perfect, such a perfect seventies uh, kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You ever watch that cartoon um, Epics for Family? Yeah, 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 exactly. He reminds, yeah. Of the, he reminds me of the little brother, and, and it's all, it also takes place in the 70s, too, like the same era. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's reminds- the yeah that's the Bill Burr uh, animated series on Netflix. Oh, but. yeah, yeah, yeah. The only other thing I had was just like the ending ending when they a- end up finding each other. It's super dramatic with the running, right? It's really romantic in a sense. And again, I don't know if it's romance in the purest sense or a friendship thing, or they need to be together in whatever way. I know he kisses her, but for him, you have, it doesn't just end there. He brings her in and he introduces her as Alana Valentine, like as if they're married. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He does. Yeah. Alana Valentine. Yeah. And she's like, what the hell? You know, I still love that too. (laughs) You know, it had a little bit in that moment to think of a, uh, an, you know, a great auteur filmmakers love story it reminded me a little bit of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Like, are they just going to kind of keep going at it at, you know, maybe this, like, in a way failed relationship? Oh, you might be right about that. We we don't know. We don't know how it ends. We say on a High School Slumber Party, right, like, there's very few teen sequels because, like, in the end of the day, are you really rooting for the high school sweethearts to be together forever? Is that the most healthy relationship, you know? Definitely a lot less these days. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, who knows how it's going to end. It's just like, I think the movie is about the moment, though. The, the fact that they did come together, they did realize how important they are to each other's lives. And for a P.T. Anderson movie, one of the most positive ones, too, right? Yeah, I mean, okay, let's just... I, I don't remember the exact ending to Heart 8, but... Boogie Nights, I mean, you've got Dirk, you know, hey, he's still in porn, and he's just like, you know. It's a positive ending, but it gets really, 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 really dark for an hour before that. Yeah, everyone has those really low moments. Uh, Magnolia is pretty ambiguous. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Punch Drunk Love, that's why it's like the closest to this positive. Uh, There Will Be Blood, I mean, just probably the most tormented character. Yeah, I finished. I, tragedy. I wouldn't call that positive. Yeah, 
The yeah, master's and, and not then, positive. The yeah, the master. What the greatest last line of any movie? Now stick stick it back in. It fell out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not positive there. What are we missing? Inherent vice. Inherent vice. Oh, I guess it's positive. He solves the case, but it's things like... are resolved. But no, there's still a weird thing with him in the yeah his and Bigfoot's relationship, and then I forget the girl's name in that movie. But Shasta. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shasta, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, actually, you know what? Cut to the two Daniel Day-Lewis movies. Those are the most, like, fucked up endings. Because it's just like, <laughs> I'm finished and there will be blood. And then him just accepting, oh, she's poisoning me and I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how he delivered the line, too. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me, me and Danny Day. Danny Day. <laughs> no, Nobody calls, has called him that ever. <laughs> It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to our awards then. So, on High School Slumber Party, we uh, give out awards. We have we didn't really give them out on Hoffman, but I figured this is a crossover. We might as well do them anyway. Yeah. All right. First question we always ask on High School Slumber Party: Who was the movie made for? Who was the intended audience for this film? You think? Um. You know, I, I when I was at the theaters, I looked around like the audience and I thought it was made for like people who grew up came of age in the 70s people who were in P.T. Anderson's generation and kind of like because it did have a very nostalgia quality to it and um, I think yeah I think people in their what 40s and 50s at this point I think that's that's who it's made for. Yeah, I could see that a little bit. I, I definitely agree with that. But also, I think it's made for people like us who are just P.T. Anderson fans or fans of these kind of movies, right? Like, it's rewarding in both senses. I think if you like the 70s or you're from the 70s, you're going to get a kick out of this. But I think if you like the, especially the visual style of P.T. Anderson, you're going to really enjoy this movie as well. Uh, what about you, Kyle? I agree with both of you and then i'm just trying to find i wish i could find this um that one article that i kind of brought up on the on the uh, shorter episode point being it was showing a lot of a lot of the people that were going to theaters to see it were in their 20s and 30s now is that a product of the world we're living in right now like pandemic post pandemic world that people around that age are the most comfortable age to go see in theaters and the four true, screens true. that it's on. I don't know, but I think that there's a next generation probably cuz I think I think all of his movies are on Netflix right now, which we're just seeing clear more and more clear that Netflix is an amazing tool for, you know, the next generation to discover and uh like we were saying the fact that Just Friends is on Netflix and I don't think that's a coincidence with Ryan Reynolds and the biggest Netflix movie of all time just coming out, uh, Red Notice or whatever. So yeah, I think po- point being, I think I, I don't know. I think it's a movie that's kind of made for everybody. I don't know about everybody, right? But I think it's like I'm trying to think. No, okay, yeah, not my fucking dad. I am <laughs> but, <laughs> but that, but Kyle, that's not that insane for you to say because your dad is a man of the 70s you know what i mean yes like, like, no, i know so in the no, end of I could, day, I, what i meant by like people like people who grew up in the 70s like i could see like yeah like someone someone like our father's age like i could see like lee farrar watching it and be like exactly oh, I, I drove that i drove that car exactly 100 like going on a fucking half hour tangent of that car it's like just watch the fucking movie please oh, right right <laughs> 
So the next question we ask is most likely to succeed. And this is for which character won the movie. So, uh, Dan, you go first. What character do you think comes out on top at the end of this film? I think, I think Gary, Gary Valentine, um, because it seems like for his age, he's very driven. He's got the entrepreneurial spirit and he's, he's mature for his age and he believes that he's an adult. Basically, everything that he's pursued, he's, he's accomplished starting from, like, Alana and ends with Alana and everything else in between. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you, Dan. And to piggyback off of that, I mean, having a career in acting, while it might be ending, we don't see it officially over, but he's finding other ventures. But at the same time that he's acting, he's doing this PR thing with his mom. Like, at 15 years old, he is way more active and just trying things. So is he ever going to be, like, the most successful I don't know, but he's definitely like a go-getter. And then I would, I was thinking like Alana at first, but she is 25 dating a 15-year-old. So I'll just use that little bit of it to say that that makes Gary, not because of, oh, a 15-year-old dating a 25-year-old, but he's not doing... I think by the end of the movie, he's not 15 anymore, but he's still at most 16 or 17, right? I don't, yeah, I think the movie takes place over like a few months. I don't think it's like anything crazy. I'm with you, Kyle. I, you can't say it's Alana, though, because at the end of the day, she's settling. Yes, settling for love, and that's great, but she wanted to marry a rich politician, right? So, I don't know. It, it's definitely Gary Valentine here. All right, next award is the Wooderson Award. This award is named after the Wooderson character in the film Days and Confused, famously Matthew McConaughey. Got a small role in the film, did such a good job that director Richard Linklater added him to more scenes because he just wanted to see more of what this guy could do. Flash forward, Matthew McConaughey wins an Academy Award, not for that film, but you know later. Like that pretty much discovered him. That made him. We have this award here, and it's for a character who you would have liked to see more of in the film. If you were the director, you're the writer, the producer. Is there anyone here that you would want to have more scenes? The younger brother. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the younger brother or Mr. Jack, George DiCaprio. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like, but, his, but he, his, his, his role in the movie, like, just that one scene was, like, perfect. It was, like, didn't need any more. It was oh, just enough. so, so good. Yeah. At, first, at first, I was like, is that Mark Marin? Like, there's... <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's in more, more like films than playing fucking weird roles. And I'm like, and then, yeah, I just saw, like, an article yesterday saying it's George DiCaprio. And just like how like like PTA was trying to think of uh, you know people to use, and I forget <laughs> who was suggested at one point, but uh, but yeah, that like that just worked out perfectly. Our next award is the Long Duck Dong Award. Maybe appropriate for this film today, but uh, <laughs> yeah. and it, it's for a character whose omission would make the film better. Famously in Sixteen Candles, is a character Long Duck Dong. Very racist. It doesn't have to be a racist thing, but it might be today. Uh, just like if you could pluck out an element or a character in the film to make it better, uh, who would you take out of the movie? Say his name for us one more time. John Michael Higgins, who I love as an actor. I love John Michael Higgins. Yeah, he makes me laugh in pretty much every other role that he's in. All Christopher Guest movies. Uh, Brian, I know you and I love uh, the movie The Breakup, and him as Jennifer Aniston's brother is <laughs> yes. amazing. Come, come, with the kick drum. Come, come. He reminds Lose me yourself. a lot of our high school band teacher, Dan. Mm-hmm. And uh, But in this movie, 
I don't know. Yeah, just really him being in two scenes and then doing that horrible accent. Um, and again, it's not making his character look good, but just thinking like, was he adding to the movie? And I just really can't think of it if it, if it is to show horrible clients that he has to deal with as a PR person and then asking a favor from him later in the movie. I don't know. You could have someone, an, another disrespectful kind of person in it. Or you could have just had that character be horrible, not do a horrible accent. I don't know. But yeah, so John Michael Higgins. How about you, Dan? Someone different? No, I'd have to agree with that. I think it's pretty straightforward that it'd be him to admit. I, I, you know, and I don't think I don't think it's, that scene was a big deal, but I thought I think the unfortunate thing is it's just the attention that it's getting. I think that's really unfortunate. Unfortunate that you know they're like, oh, that scene is people are really focusing on that instead of the whole movie. That's exactly why I agree, and I, I kind of see where PT Anderson is going with this, but the fact that we are talking about it again just takes away from so much greatness in this movie. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy that that's being taught, not that it's not deserving, but like it's overshadowing like what we were first hearing as far as the age difference being the biggest controversy. But, but I think that helps. Like there's no sex scene. It's not throughout the movie. You know what I mean? It's a kiss at the end. He might be a little bit older. He's probably legally of age at that point. Who knows what it was in California? You know what I mean? It's not as it's not it's not as in your face. Yeah, no, you're right. All right, Cameron Fry Award, and this is an award uh, named after Cameron Fry's character, played by Alan Ruck in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He was 30 years old when the movie came out, much older than a high schooler, and this award is for if any of the characters did not look their age, right? And we don't see like huge. We do see high school class, a high school class, but we're you know we don't get a lot of those characters. So did. Did, like, Cooper Hoffman look his age here? Was there anyone who did not look like a teenager or whatever? It's funny. Like, I almost would say, like, Cooper Hoffman doesn't look that... Okay, so maybe he was, like... I think he was 16 when they started filming. So only, like, yeah. a year older than his character is. But, I mean, they even address in the movie, like, oh, wow, like, since the last time they saw Gary, like, oh, you got so big and everything like that. But it's like he almost isn't, but he is in real life. So, <laughs> like, and still much more than so many other movies, obviously, you've covered throughout the history of your For podcast. sure, yeah. So, no, this movie is, like, perfectly casted age-wise. And I, I think not just age, but looks-wise. Like, PTA yeah. casts people who look like real people, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, that's a hard one, because I think the, the casting end was pretty spot-on. Nobody yeah. looked older than I, I actually thought alana was uh i thought she looked younger than 25 uh, if and yes she was but, older than that in real life yeah yeah so i mean i mean cooper hoffman he acts very mature but he he still he could definitely pass as 15 um, for sure movie. yeah i 100 agree with that now it's time to grade the movie which is something we do here in high school slumber party uh, the old report card grade a plus to f so handing you the red pen, the manila card. Before we grade things, we look at our cheat sheet. It's very early, so this is going to change, especially when it goes to wide release, right? 101 critics right now in Rotten Tomatoes, 91%. Also 91% for the audience, but only around 50 reviews. So again, it's going to change. The Film Nerds on Letterboxd, as we record, 
4.2 out of 5, which is a very high score for Letterboxd. I imagine that'll change as well. Well, they probably associated really well with Gary, fucking nerd. <laughs> Even though I shared all that with you, throw that away. A plus to F scale. What will you grade Licorice Pizza? I'll give it a hard A. Ooh, hard A, hard 8. Yes. Yeah. Hard A. Only because it was an awesome movie, but not an A plus because it's not my favorite P.T. Anderson movie. But other than that, it's, it was an excellent movie. Excellent movie, movie experience. How about you, Kyle? Same exact reasoning. Only thing I'm going to add to it by saying, you know, that's, yeah, it's a solid A. Still, my two favorite P.T. Anderson movies are Boogie Nights and Master, and nothing will ever beat my A-plus of Encino Man, so. (laughs) (laughs) I I gave it an A as well. I was thinking about the A-plus. I just, it's hard for me to give a movie an A-plus without some time and not watching it again. Maybe I'll revisit it when it's streaming and it'll be that A+. plus. But definitely, definitely an A. Loved this movie. Loved that, you know, one of the greatest directors of our era does a teen film. And two hours, 13 minutes. We didn't mention this. Believe it or not, pretty sh- short length for a P.T. Anderson film. Not, it's not short by any means. And Punch Drunk Love is way shorter than this. But it's like not three hours, which I was comforted by, you know. <laughs> yeah that's always nice yeah sleeping bag question so on high school slumber party we asked this question if we were all at a slumber party and we brought our custom-made sleeping bags for the film licorice pizza what do our sleeping bags look like kyle you go first what does your licorice pizza sleeping bag look like there is one only one obvious choice here and that's a water sleeping bag yeah the water bed, water sleeping bag. That's a good yeah. one. I don't like. Does that does that exist? I always I talk about. I always always when I was a little kid, I wanted a fucking water bed. <laughs> I, that was like there, I wasn't. I didn't ask for many things in my life. Number one, I didn't ask for many things that I didn't get in my life. Number two, I asked for a water bed. I never got a fucking. Water bed. <laughs> now that I'm single, water bed now that I'm single again, I'm gonna get a fucking water bed. Oh, God, dude. Like if I honestly, if I had a two bedroom place. Guest bedroom, fucking water bed. <laughs> I hear they're real bad for your back. I'm sure they're real bad for your back. But also, I remember watching, like, I think it's in, like, a Goofy movie. And I think the awesome RV in it has, like, a water bed. And there's fish in the water bed. And when you're a kid and you see that and you're like, I can have an aquarium that I sleep on. It's amazing. So, water bed, sleeping bag. How about you, Dan? I was going to, I was just on the same, same track. Uh, a soggy bottom. <laughs> uh, sleeping bag like with the soggy bottom logo that he designed on what, the, uh, what, and then what does it become and it becomes the same thing for the pinball what's the fat what is it uh, it's like big, big bernie's pinball fat bernie's big bernie's yeah, fat, oh, fat, Bernie, fat, fat bernie yeah, fat bernie's, yeah. 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 <laughs> i like that so i love the artwork to this film specifically the soundtrack uh kyle you and i talked about this but yes they're releasing the soundtrack on vinyl of course but there's a special red vinyl that's only going to be released. It might have been released already in record stores, independent record stores. So you I have to, to go and get one. Yeah, get two, get one for me if you find yes. two. But I just love the poster to the film, but specifically the vinyl cover. If you guys want to like look at that, yeah. So I'd love my sleeping bag to look like the vinyl here, which I'm sharing on the screen now. Just something along those lines. The cartooned characters but like more of like even the colors in the background you know so 
that's my that's my sleeping very bag. very 70s color palette it's got like that light brown orange every they loved light brown and orange back in the oh, i love it yellow 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 tin and orange yeah yeah <laughs> i love that mattress woman by the way oh, you, oh i could see that yeah she's my wheelhouse so nicole uh went to dumont high school and in the seven like their colors they're the huskies and their colors used to be like white and silver but in the 70s they changed to like brown and orange <laughs> they just kept it there. Well, what is it about brown and orange in the 70s i don't know it just got popular like yeah. think of the, in the 90s the early 90s it was like neon colors in the late 90s yes yes i was gonna say neon yeah yeah the late 90s was like a lot of burgundies and like eggplant you know like different eras of different colors like mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know what it is yeah i mean like what pastels were in in like the 60s and shit 60s and then the 80s again 80s yeah <laughs> it's so weird all right this is my favorite question on high school slumber party it is the blockbuster question meaning the three of us we're gonna walk into a blockbuster we know this blockbuster has every movie that has ever existed in the history of films we know that we are going to rent a physical copy of licorice pizza but we get to the counter we see a sign and it says rent two movies get one free and I said, we're going to really take advantage of it this weekend. Kyle, Dan, I'll hold our place in line. Both of you get two other movies and build your own licorice pizza slumber party trifecta. Oh, boy. There's just so many answers I have for this one. I'll keep it in the 70s. So I'll go with um, Almost Famous. Oh, and, so and, 70s, like period 70s. Yeah, and Virgin Suicides. Oh, speaking my language, I I like that triple feature. That's awesome. That's a good one. I almost almost famous was on my mind. I mean, I'm gonna I, I you know I mean so PTA and then getting a you, you know getting Cooper Hoffman. You want to see Phil Sir Hoffman, so I'm gonna go with Boogie Nights. Um, and then know like i mean you know i was obviously mentioning inherent vice as well but do we want truly a pta you know three movies in there i'm thinking and while this isn't 70s it is period it's like i think like early 80s i'm gonna go with you ever see uh richard linklater's everybody wants some great one of joey lewandowski's favorite films yeah, there's something about that movie. There were moments in this movie that reminded me a little bit of like Richard Linklater. So even, I mean, I guess I should have gone with Days and Confused, seventies and kids <laughs> and stuff. So are you gonna go with Days? Take that as you will. What's that? Which one are you gonna go with? I'm gonna, gonna go with Days and Confused. Yeah. Okay. Days okay. and Confused. It just makes more sense. But that just kind of again that like you because know, that movie like there's not like a total like. Uh, you know, you get to the party scene, but it's just still like yeah, yeah. little journeys and adventures. So there was something, uh, and then and, that, and that's what also happens with the baseball team and everybody wants some and everything like that. So um, yeah, just definitely moments in Licorice Pizza that reminded me of like a Richard Linklater film. So Boogie Nights and Days and Confused. Love those picks. I was trying to think of if I had some different ones. Um, a lot of ways you can you could have gone with this right but th- this is probably an obvious choice but i'm, I'm gonna have a rental thing this time i'm a, and i recently recommended this film but i'm gonna do it again the nice guys 70s period piece there 
And let's just go with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? You get the Tarantino factor too, so. Yeah, awesome. Nice little trifecta there. Well, thanks guys for really talking this film with me, especially on the slumber party side. But Kyle, you know, we did another Hoffman movie. Really happy about that. Yeah. Anything you guys want to plug or talk about before we get out of here? Hopefully released a uh, came back with foodie films. Definitely been recording episodes. Um, so check out that. And of course, I mean, if you're listening to this on High School Slumber Party, then also check out P.S. I Love Hoffman. If you're listening to this on P.S. I Love Hoffman, check out High School Slumber Party and all the other great shows on the Cage Club Podcast Network. Dan, anything else you want to say? I'm just excited to see what's to come for um, for Cooper Hoffman. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, like, yes. Yeah. We definitely, definitely agree with that here. Which just makes, I mean, an already obviously, you know, you know, far more tragic that Philip Seymour Hoffman left us so soon and obviously left his family. I mean, Cooper was, what we were saying, that's seven years ago, so he was uh, like ten years old when he lost his father. But it's just like, oh, man, and they could have been in a movie together. It's like the same feeling that I have that, I know Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix would have been in another movie together and I would have cherished every minute of it. But the, you know, point being, it would have been cool if we would have gotten that father and team, uh, father and son team up. But I'm happy and excited to see where Cooper Hoffman's career goes. I mean, definitely. We'll continue to talk and cover Cooper Hoffman here on PSI Love Hoffman. And if he's in more teen films, we'll cover on High School Slumber Party. But on. P.S. I love Hoffman. We have a way that we end the show, Kyle. So, why don't you, why don't you take it away and, and give a nice little closing to our fun, fun deep dive of licorice pizza? I think we should hand it over to our guest Dan. And I'm not expecting you to remember this, Dan, but we end uh, every episode with "Stay on Cool," a great line from the movie you just recommended, Almost Famous. So, if you don't mind telling the Hoff fans out there to stay on cool. What do I say? I say stay on cool. Yep. Stay on cool. <laughs> Is that it? Yep. Cools. I like them. The minty flavor. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs>